Welcome everyone to the 61st episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Kozella here with Nick Tartaglia. What's up, man? <laughs> Honestly, right now, just jealous of you. I wish I was where you are. Man, it seems like every time we start an episode the last couple of weeks, you're just hating on the fact that I'm somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, not honestly, right now. it sucks because <laughs> I'm so cold every day. So it's interesting. Like We can compare and contrast the two, um, but I think most people already know, so it'd be a total waste of time. Um, but there's been a lot happening. Last week, we talked about supply chains the trucker convoy, how that's going to affect supply chains, your grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, it was funny. I saw AOC tweet like, yeah, I don't need truckers. I'll, I'll keep my grocery stores. And I'm just like, well, you do realize, sweetheart, the entire thing is connected. No, I don't think she does. So <laughs> I think she thinks that it just. Boop. Yeah, every, everything. It's like, a, it's like Disney, you know, magically. Disney, you know, did the, the Disney movie there where you have the pelicans that, that carry the babies in their mouth to the families as if babies are manufactured. So I think yep. she thinks in that realm of like Disney, you know, it's like just food just gets teleported to your, you. It, know? it just gets dropped by pelicans. We have see- birds everywhere. They just send food randomly to stores. Anyway, all, all jokes aside, um, there, there's been a lot of stuff happening, but the one thing uh, that we've been talking about, at least, I think we was like, we started this podcast. We spoke about a specific commodity um, where at the time it hit a price, which historically was never been seen before where, you know, WTI crude, Brent crude was trading at negative dollars. Mm-hmm. And since then, since then, if you had bought oil back in the spring of 2020, I only bought it in November, which is still good. But if you had bought oil energy stocks at the time, I think you're almost up like yeah. it's a five bagger. Yeah, you're doing point. really well. And the cash flow you're too, doing- you nailed You got a secure source of cash flow too. And you were buying them cheap with the yields had gone up. I was having a conversation with some friends who were, you know, people that don't really pay attention to markets and were, they started complaining about the oil. And I'm like, you guys remember at the, when the, everything was going down and oil and the gas prices tanked all the way down to like 70 cents. You remember that? Where we are now, we're more than double that price now. And I go, don't, 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 uh, don't think it's not going to continue going up there. We, we could see within this winter or the next couple of months, see go closer to a dollar 80, $2 a liter. It's not unlikely this year, this, uh, for this year, especially if the tension in Europe continues and stuff, who knows? Now, before we jump into sort of like where, I mean, I think, and I think you think uh, oil and energy are going to continue to go. I um, just want to make something very clear. None of this is investment advice. So please consult a financial advisor. This is just names and ideas Conversations. that Nick and I own. Yeah. Um, so please, please don't take this as investment advice. I just want to make sure that this is clear. Um, Let's talk about oil as an asset. I think I, I need people to understand the clarity of it. Um, it is a bit of a wild card. And the reason I say that is because OPEC, which is the largest oil, we'll call it a cartel in the world, pretty much controls the supply of, or, or the, and the, really the market for oil prices because they are connected with the Saudis. The Saudis control the entire global market. And they've been given more power as of this year because of Biden's presidency and this whole political environmental stuff exactly so you know when 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 you topple that it becomes a very difficult asset class historically to be long in traditionally over the last 10 years energy has only returned about 32 or 40 percent over the course of a decade whereas every other every other sector 
has done mm-hmm. well over 150%. I mean, tech, if you bought tech, like, you know, in 2010, you're almost up 400%. Yeah. That's a given. But we're in a totally different environment now. Mm-hmm. It's an environment where there's a lot of tension geopolitically. Um, there's a lot of inflation everywhere. Yeah. Um, governments have printed so much money. And here's the other thing, too. I want to make something very clear before I say this. We are not climate deniers. Nope. Okay. We, we believe that climate is important. However, climate hysteria has gotten mm-hmm. out of control, that it is literally destroyed mm-hmm. the supply of exactly. the oil and gas market. You still right? have to solve the problem through objectivity. You can't solve a problem through the lens of political nonsense and ignore economics basic foundation of how society works, of how a country is built, of how infrastructure works, about how we bring things around. This whole political desire to destroy the industry, it's ignoring everything. And then it's like, okay, well, no wonder prices are going to keep going up like this because you're fueling this environment that that just hurts people while you're trying to do good for people. You know, it's like you're not playing that right. Here's another thing too. Every piece of technology that has been created for over the last two decades or whenever has had some form of oil, or it's, I believe it's called hydro, it built. Hydrocar- hydrocarbons as part of its uh, structure. Your smartphone, the plastic, oil, right? Your computer, oil. You're, Just to like, get the commodities around. You, you, you want to mine? You want to get it out of the ground? What do you think you need? You need machinery? What does the machines use? oil you want to get once you get it out of the ground what do we do with it we got to put it on containers we got to put it in trucks and what do we got to do we got to transport it around the world people got to use those commodities what do we use to transport those commodities oil we want goods from china what do we need we need ships what the ships use oil you know it's the world is built on infrastructure that depends on oil and I, I think the other thing, too, that unfortunately a lot of millennials and Gen Zs just fail to understand is that you cannot just cancel an entire industry, right? This industry has been the backbone of what probably global economics since Almost it was a century. It's yeah. And, cool. you know, and I think less. it's come, I think it's come a long way in terms of being better for the environment. Like, do I agree that fracking long-term is not a good thing for, you know, the environment? Yes. But where are you going to get more oil from? Mm-hmm. Right. So when you top that with these climate activists who don't understand economics at all, um, and you top that with an emotional hysteria to abolish an entire in- industry, the supply side of the equation gets destroyed. Now, looking at oil companies back in 2020, and full disclaimer, I own four names, they're all Canadian producers. They've done very well so far. I'm not selling them. I sold one. I trimmed one a little bit because it was just like, I was just like, all right, let me get some cash out of here. But the amount of drilling that's that's happened in the last two years is like, it's almost non-existent. Mm -hmm. And I want people to understand the significance of this. When you do not drill any wells, you are restricting supply, Right. So supply just, it remains stagnant or whatever is there. So all these producers, they've got to be able to basically get as much of it out of the ground as possible. Now, top that with the demand side of the equation, which I don't think we've peaked yet, by the way. 
Well, of course not. Think of it. Just to add to that, if we look at a basic fundamental principle, if we're saying we need to go all green as crazy, we want to go hard for that initiative. We have so many, like the amount of commodities that we're going to need to do that is going to just on its own depend on an increase in demand in oil because we're going to need to get all that stuff out of the ground and transport it around the world. So if we're going back into this whole like infrastructural base of building bridges, building roads, uh, more buildings, more houses, more commodities, more this, more that, well, guess what? Right now, it all depends on oil. So there's a whole input of demand that's coming our way. Not to mention travel hasn't peaked yet. And that's, that's another, exactly. that's another industry. I don't, I, I don't, we don't, I don't want to recommend any stocks, but I personally just don't own airlines because yeah. I just think it's just <laughs> a terrible, it's the a fundamentals terrible for me completely shifted. Yeah. And it's a cash burning business. There's no question. And about it's a that. luxury expense. So let's say inflation continues to persist and people, middle class is being destroyed. Discretionary. Mm-hmm. So discretionary. for me, it's, you know, so for me, it's a, in that environment, people, will forego things that they don't require because they rather focus on food and heating and, you know, clothing and school and the basics. Yeah, exactly. So that's an industry that's linked to it. Cruise, cruise liners are linked to it. Pretty much everything has, every industry globally is linked to the oil and gas sector, to the energy sector. There's no question about that. We are for green energy. I want to make sure that that is abundantly clear. We are for that. I think it's a great, I think lithium is going to do very well these next few years. Um, It's been a little bit of a slow rise, but you know, back, back to the oil and gas sector. I mean, in Canada, you know, like this is, this is the, this is the backbone of our, our, our geopolitical power. Right. So I want to go back to when Biden got elected. The first thing he did was just cancel <laughs> Keystone. And I'm just like, okay, like, do you realize that you just destroyed like 11 million jobs possibly? Did you, do you realize like that economic activity is just like totally stopped? I mean, these are people's livelihoods and I don't mean to be cynical too, but like most of these people, that's all they know is they've just grown up in the, in, in the oil industry. And you, you take that away from them. And then you come out and you say, oh, they, they, they have to learn how to program and do tech and all that stuff. It's almost an insult and a slap to the face. So instead of working with them to develop you know, sustainable practices, which I think they already have come a long mm-hmm. way. And it's been getting that way. It's just, you know, the industry is lacking. It just, it's like you said, for a decade, like most commodities and energy and all that stuff, they've been lacking capital expenditure. They have, people haven't really been investing in these industries. So when you don't invest in it and you don't focus on it, what do you do? You have less CapEx, less, cap- less capital expenditure with less CapEx, you have less innovation and so on and so on. If we had focused on it for the last decade, two decades, we could have gone, we could have been an entirely different level in terms of innovation and efficiency agreed and um however you know no one no one anticipated oil going negative that one month in april of 2020 but um uh, going yeah just going back to like the whole esg craze like you have to find a way to work together with the energy the oil and gas people and they're willing to do it by the way i've spoken to ceos who are just like listen you're like our generation, they have a very negative view about our sector. How do we fix that? And I think it just comes down to just educating people yeah. about its basic supply and demand, yeah. you know, and every car that's out there too, when you, when you're filling up the gas, you're filling up a gas tank, you start realizing, holy shit, my, 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 my gas prices are through the roof. Well, that's directly correlated to the price of oil. 
Yeah. It's almost a perfect correlate. I wouldn't say perfect, but you know, you, it's, it's a very high correlation. So, you know, and it's, it's funny because they, there's another thing when we think about it, it's like, okay, you guys want to transfer over to green initiative. Blah, blah, blah. You wanted to give subsidies and most first off, mostly the people are going to benefit are going to be the upper middle class, the wealthy people. And then when you think about it, who's the biggest purchaser of secondhand cars, it's young people and poor people because, well, they can't afford the higher end cars, the new cars. So they buy secondary cars. Most of the secondary market of cars and vehicles are oil or gas driven cars. So with this inflationary impact and this high cost, who are you hurting the most? You are hurting the poor people and the young people the most. You're not hurting the rich people. You know, you're, 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 and then the thing is, it's mostly the poor and the young people that have to travel for their jobs. They don't, most of them don't have the luxury of sitting at home and working from home. So they need to drive. So you are burdening the people that we seek to help the most in society, but they are the ones suffering the biggest costs because, well, they, they don't, they don't have the ability or the, uh, the luxury or the privilege to, kind of benefit from all these, you know, subsidies and these green initiative. Exactly. They're the ones who have to financially burden it the most at the beginning. Yeah. And, and I've realized too, that banks, uh, particularly in Canada have just not been lending to, to oil companies. Mm-hmm. You know, they've had previous, you know, debt deals or debt financings that they've done, but they said, we're not, we're not financing until you figure this out, you know, and they've slowly cut back on that. So like you said, when it goes back to the CapEx of that industry, it's declined. Mm-hmm. Drilling, uh, the drilling has declined. CapEx has declined. W- what happens as a result if demand goes up? Well, oil mm-hmm. can only go higher at this point. You know, there's now, a ge- there's geopolitical risk to that. You know, absolutely. The more the, more, the less good independent segue, we become, the, the less independent we become in terms of dependency on our own oil sources, our own energy sources. What we need to depend more on external sources, and that gives political power. Well, it gives economic power to other political forces that could destroy us or disrupt our economy the way they want to, because they have the power to do what they want. What if China says, you know what, let's start buying up a ton more surplus supply of the, on the oil from OPEC, just so that the Western countries cannot buy more oil. We're just going to buy excessive amounts and we're just going to store it, but we're not going to sell it back in the market. We're just going to eat up more of the supply. The West is going to be able to have less and less. Because why? Guess what? Your politics have limited your future supply. So you become externally more and more dependent. And then China and Russia, well, China, let's go, you know what? Let's disrupt them. Let's buy up more supply, more of the supply on the open market from OPEC. Let's mitigate, let's minimize their ability to to have all the energy fuel they require. For all you know, they can do that. It's a chess game at this point. The, the, the West too, like Canada and the US, like very rich uh, resource countries. And I feel like we're just not utilizing our full potential to become what Trump basically did when he was in office was energy independent. You know, when you become energy independent, you have control over the, over the pricing. That's why you can innovate better and you can innovate better because you have more room for, to do what you need to do. That's why, that's why under that administration, gas prices were significantly lower. Canada, I mean, it was a little bit of a different story, right? Because we, we well, have- Well, it was we, still, you know, I remember before everything went down, the prices were, were around $1.20, $1.15. You know, it's not which that is bad. normal. Which is yeah, normal. We had that for many, many years. It was fluctu- It was around that price range for a lot, for a good period of time. Honestly, nobody was bothered. It wasn't going up. It was flat. Okay. You know, you can plan on that. You can predict your costs. So, yeah. So yeah, no, I agree with that, and it's it's a statement to um, people's willingness to just want to, you know, better understand why this is happening. 
you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of shit that's out there. That's just not true about the oil and gas space. And I, I just, I just feel like we're in a position right now where we're seeing the full effects come to fruition. Um, is it going to get worse in terms of price? Um, I think so. Um, and the best way to hedge that is to own a piece of oil and gas in Canada or the U S these, these companies are going to be generating so much free cash flow. They already are generating so much free cash flow that at some point they're going to have to pay out a dividend. Mm -hmm. I want to be part of that. I already have those four names and they've all said, we're looking to pay a dividend when a company is generating anywhere between 150 million to $700 million of free cash flow. That to me, fundamentally just makes sense. That is a strong fundamental story. And the only thing that can happen is for those stock prices to go up. So you want to be, you want a piece of that. It's a perfect hedge right now against the inflation that's happening yeah. at the pump. Especially think about no it, right? With the, bond, it. the bond yields are low. So people that are seeking fixed incomes to, because a lot of times pension funds and older people, they, they want, they want fixed income because that's what they want to live off of. But the thing is the yields are paying what? 1.7, 1. 2%, 2.3 relative to inflation. You're getting negative yields. So if you can get a cash flow of four to 6%, from something that you know prices are going to keep going up and at least the cash flow is going to be stable, at least you're getting yourself a better source of fixed income than bond yields that are getting decimated. I also think that bonds are kind of just, at least in the short term, on their way out. Nobody is really buying that oh, unless you're... Of course. I, I, and it's funny, I was talking to a bond trader like a couple months ago and he said, this has never been... this. Is, I have never been so bored in my life, you know, because there's just no activity on that mm -hmm. side. And obviously... I mean, this is another conversation, but crypto has obviously taken over like that, that, you know, that side of like fixed income with staking and stuff like that. But, you know, when you look at, when you look at energy, I just like, yes, there, there needs to be like some ESG components as well, but there also needs to be a full understanding of society that like, we can't live without this. And if you want to transition into like this whole green energy thing, well, oil is going to have to be a part of it. Yeah. You know, you know, it gas, scares me. Gas in warm country, gas yeah. in cold countries. By the way, how do you heat your how do you heat your home? <laughs> you know, like okay, you have electric thermostats, but a vast majority of the housing infrastructure globally right now, at least in developed countries, is built on you know natural gas pumps. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about natural gas in a second, but you said mm -hmm. something. Go ahead. You know, it, it just it's what scares me is this whole um, oh man, where was I going with this? Uh, come on nick we got some dead i just air. got blanked you gotta, <laughs> i just blanked you gotta, you gotta fill that up anyway if the yeah, thought comes back I, let I, me I know but i'll come back to I, I, I like natural gas is another uh commodity that in canada when you have close to minus 20 winters you need that to basically survive mm -hmm. and that's another thing and by the way natural gas is a lot cleaner than oil just want to make sure that everybody understands that in terms of like CO2 emissions, it's a lot cleaner. Um, and you know, that market has experienced a massive increase in prices as well. There's and so much happening in that market. And again, it goes back to owning the fundamental companies that have free cash flow. Yeah. This is going to be the theme for this sector for the next, I would say uh, two to three years. How much free cash flow can these guys generate before things start to normalize? Or, you know, I, I can't predict, we, we can't predict what's going to happen in three years. It's almost impossible. But there, there needs to be a, a really strong understanding by a lot of people that says, hey, we, we need these industries to at least survive. Yeah. You know, it's, it, 
I remember what I was going to say, but I'll get back to it after. I was just, I'm going to say something about the natural gases. Like people don't realize a lot of the, a lot of like greenhouses use natural gas. So a lot of refreshed produce and stuff like that, you know, especially with countries that deal with winter, greenhouses are really key because well, you can grow things even in the cold temperature is when, if natural gases go up, then you're, you're, you're increasing the price of, of good, of like healthy produce, good, you know, goods, and, well, goods that are natural foods that require greenhouses. So all these foods that are grown in greenhouses, well, their prices are going to go up. And what does that, what does that mean? That means that people are able to afford less healthy food, natural foods, good uh, fruits and vegetables and things like that. So when you drive up those prices because of the input energy that goes up, well, now you're saying, well, you know what? Poor people in the lower middle class, you guys can't afford these healthy foods anymore. So what do you do? You have to go on and substitute yourself. But this is going back to this whole like, you know, hospitalizations, public health, you know, where we're, where we're just fueling bad health habits again, because we're messing with the economy, which messes with inflation, which messes with people's eating habits because of the fact that we're messing with prices and we're distorting people's eating habits. So we're, we're it, it, when people think, when people need to think about when it comes to like energy and economics and all stuff, it's you're messing with people's lives because human life is, depends on these sources. It's not just a toy that you just manipulate. So I was going to say before when it, what scares me was the way we're pushing for this narrative of going ESG green, like, like today ASAP as fast as possible is when you do things quickly without taking the time to process the costs and the consequences and, and the procedures that build into a, an effective operation or infrastructure is you're going to, you're going to, you're going to do things that are not going to be good in the long term. They're going to give you the short-term results you want, but in the long term, you're most likely going to get bad consequences or negative outputs of it because you did it forced and you did it quick. People didn't collaborate. If you want industries to collaborate, you want things to pers- you want things to move in a way that people are moving in that direction. Instead, you're behaving in a way that's clashing. So you're not innovating in a way that's that that benefits everybody. You're just forcing your way there. I just had a thought, and I think I mean, if there are any oil and gas CEOs listening to this, um, I think they're already doing this. But if you think about it, the amount of free cash flow that they're gonna and I totally agree with everything that you just said because it's all connected right? Natural mm-hmm. gas is like directly correlated to the price of food and produce because it needs to be, you know, stored somewhere. You know, that's, that's, it's a very good point. And a lot of people don't understand that surprisingly, but you know, the amount of free cash flow that's going to be generated, like these companies are almost going to be inclined to just make necessary investments into this, you know, the ESG thing. How do we, how do we make this more green? And that's going to take time. You can't abolish an mm-hmm. entire industry. It's just like, it's literally the backbone of society at this point, you know, now when you look at it's funny, cause here, here, here we're reducing our, in, our intake, but the rest of the world is increasing their, their consumption of it. And it's like, Oh, we're playing this game, but while we're destroying our energy source and in, independence, the rest of the world is increasing their independence and strengthening their position. So, you know, the West is like, from a from a chess perspective or game theory perspective, the, the West is destroying its position on a global stage, destroying it. Yeah, and China China's laughing at it. I mean, yeah, there's no surprise, you know. So so that's just that's just one thing. Um, the other thing too is you know when you look from an investment standpoint, um, there's a lot of great companies out there that in the space that are most likely going to get acquired at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it's just a simple buy and hold strategy. You're not looking to trade these names. 
get into these names that you think are appropriate. I'm not going to name anything because I don't want people to think that I'm giving investment advice here, but there's a lot of great companies right now in Canada and in the US that are just going to continue to generate significant alpha over the next couple of months, I think. Um, another wild card event, which I don't think would happen this year. And again, I'm, I don't, I don't want to speculate too far ahead, but there's all this discussion about you know Russia invading Ukraine. Um, that's causing energy prices to skyrocket. There is a special natural interest. They, are, they have a huge power. They, they have huge control over their natural gas prices in Europe. Yeah, and 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 Russia has a company called Gazprom, which is the largest natural gas producer in that region. is pretty much a government-run entity. Um, Putin controls that. You know, he could literally cut off supply to Europe and that's it. And it's it's a game. I don't think there's going to be any violence there. I think it's more of just like, hey, we're putting our troops there to send a message. Don't 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 mess around with us. So like you said, it is a chess game. But, you know, linking it to supply and demand. Well, you know, you cut off the the supply. You know, these people are going to be paying ridiculously high oil prices. Remember what happened last year in Texas, by the way? Uh, there was that oh, freeze yeah. that happened and people were like, you know, the entire power grid was just shot to its core. And I'd love to get, you know, a portfolio manager or even get Rick Rule on again, because he's been such a good advocate for uranium hmm. and energy as a sub, as you know, an industry, because you just need it. Right. Um, what do you do when you totally abolish oil and gas? And you've got a power grid that is not there, you know, wind turbines don't work. They freeze. If there's winter, they're very expensive. They kill birds. In fact, that, they that take kills up a ton of land, which means they, you have less ability for animals to have, you know, space. Like there are natural consequences to this, but that, that they don't really talk about. Yeah. So it's all just, and listen, solar is good in very warm climate and With long periods of sun too. Exactly. That's why California is great. At least Southern California. I mean, Arizona, Nevada, like those are great. Those are really sunbelt in the States. Like, but you cannot power the Canadian cities with solar, with yeah. solars throughout the winter. They're just going to shut down. Like it, that's another thing that just, like blows my mind is like guys look at the geography look at the geographical locations like what type of energy makes the most sense to use and to obviously be responsible with it you know and like people fail to understand that if you're in costa rica and you've got a home put solar panels on there it doesn't snow there it's not going to get covered you can use solar panels that's that's a good alternative and it's but sunny most of the year <laughs> Exactly. So like, but like to, to do that in Canada, like people are talking about like having solar panels in Canada. I'm like, guys, six months of the year, like mm. you're frozen. How are you going to stay warm? Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So again, these are discussions that will be continued to have with a lot of people. And I think it's important for, for everyone to realize see, that, that that's what scares me is these conversations need to be had by everybody. Even if you're an, even if you really, really want to push that whole green initiative you need to have these conversations or else the way you're going to go about building your entire infrastructure for this green expansion is going to ignore these potential risks. And if you ignore these risks in the, your build out, you could, you can literally destroy a civilization in the long term. You could end up in a period of time where imagine if there's a, one of the biggest 
ice storms, Canada ever sees in 10 years from now, and you completely shifted our entire energy infrastructure, what happens then? What do the kids do in the future? They, they don't know how to build all these things. They didn't do any of it. They, don't, they didn't build it. They didn't implement any of it. They don't know how to adapt to this. So we need to be very careful about how we go because we can make our society too fragile from an energy standpoint. And we can destroy ourselves just because we didn't want to take into account risks because we don't want to have a conversation. We don't want dialogue. We just want to push things on people. Well, I think it's also educating people as well. And like, again, we talked about this, but- But you need to have thing- conversation to educate people, you know? So Yeah. yeah. Um, I would also say the labor market, like you said, I mean, it's a very white collar labor market, labor market, meaning that everybody is going to school to get an education, but there's a massive shortage in like the trade school. And that to me, for anybody that's up and coming right now, that is a very unique opportunity to take advantage of that gap because the labor market right now is extremely tight. Yeah. Not to mention wages and inflation are, are, are going higher and like, you know, wages are not going, the wages are not increasing as fast as inflation yeah. is increasing, unfortunately. So that's something that that's, that's something to keep in mind, but you know, that, that needs to be, those discussions need to be had. Oil and gas are not evil. We need to work with no. these industries to figure out the best way to make a green transition as smooth as possible. Mm-hmm. And again, another source yeah. of energy that I'm, that I'm thinking of too is, is, is nuclear, but you know, that, that, that is another yeah. conversation that well, that's where the we'll uranium comes time. in. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, that's something that, you know, there's a significant, there's more CapEx in that industry than in oil and gas, I would say, because a nuclear reactor, a nuclear power plant, that's a billion, $2 billion investment. and takes about 10 years to build effectively. You know, so there's, there's opportunity there. And, um, when people are just shutting it out and saying, no green energy, this, that, that, give me solar wind, this abolish oil, abolish fossil fuels. I'm like, you don't understand the economic consequences of this. You really don't, you know? So it always goes back. Hey, this is an economic planet. Okay. Accept that, figure out a way to be a responsible and, you know, good citizen by contributing to society. Cool. Just to give a, a simple little consequence, there's all these initiatives. They don't people don't realize is we've had, we now are seeing one of the largest increased or consumption of coal in almost a decade because of the fact that unintended consequences. Exactly. It's like this is you don't want you you people are fighting to not have this happen. And yet everything you're doing is producing exactly what you did not want, which means you don't know what you're doing. And if you don't know what you're doing and you're going to have such an impact on the way we build out our infrastructure and our society, then you could end up destroying us because you're driven by politics and ideology, not by objectivity, not by logic, not by economics, not by basic freaking reality, you know? So, yeah, oh, it's crazy. <laughs> Only time is going to tell what, what happens to us, though. Yeah, and again, we're not, we're not controlling what happens in the world. We're just being observant and objective and, like, what's happening. But, you know, this whole green movement has literally had unintended consequences on, on an entire sector. So where are we going? For, where, where does this go moving forward? Um, again, I don't like making predictions, but just based on looking at where things are at right now, I, it would not surprise me to see, you know, WTI, Western Texas Intermediate mm-hmm. Oil, break above $100 this year. And when that does happen, all these oil companies, all these oil stocks are going to do extremely well. They're going to generate even more cash flow. 
but that's also going to hurt consumers at the pump. Yeah, you're going to see, like you said at the beginning, Nick, like two dollars a liter. I, I've never seen that in my lifetime. I don't yeah. think we have in Canada, and then in in America, that's close to maybe eight like, fifty nine dollars a people, gallon. If the average person is making, let's say, after taxes, let's say the average person that brings them home net $600 a week, okay? Times four is $2,400 a month. If you're now telling me that I'm going to pay roughly $400 a month on gas, assuming the average you know, poor person or lower middle class or person that drives roughly five days a week, whatever, spends is going to spend roughly $100 a week on gas easily now. That's $400 a month. Well, you're telling me that one-sixth of my cost a month now is just on gas a sixth of my cost is just gas then you have to take into account food and food's going to go up now because of the natural gas increase so that's going to become another significant portion then you have my rent then you have my heating on my house you know it's things are adding up i i, I want to bring up something before we kind of just wrap this up with regards to green cars right so like teslas and anything that's electric right? Um, the reality is these electric chargers are being fueled by natural gas. Yeah, and, and, fuel, and, yeah, exactly. and, and, and hold on. And these charging stations require more energy to charge a lithium ion battery, which further burns more natural gas. So at the end of the day, when I hear people talk about, oh, if you don't want to pay too much at the pump for gas, well, that cost has to go somewhere else. If you, let's say you have a green car, well, you're actually doing more harm to the environment by plugging in a charging station on a Tesla, right? The, the, the amount of CO2 that that's exposing from, 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 from the natural gas side is, is significantly higher. So it's almost like, okay, I don't have to pay out of my pocket but I'm still, there's still a cost to doing everything. So you have to look at it as like, it's a zero sum game. I was watching. Let me just finish my point. It's like, just because you're not paying for something at the pump and you yeah. decide to switch does not mean that you're not paying for it elsewhere. And that's something that people forget. It's like, oh yeah, right. something that's free. I got free money from the government. It's like, no, there's no free lunch guys. Yeah. Free is a lie. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. It's that whole face value versus like, like go behind the face, like look behind. And there was, it's funny because there was a, um, I saw, I was watching this interview and it was from Australia and this person goes up to this business that had like, um, charging, like, like stations on their, on their, in their driveway, um, on their parking lot, they had the, you know, EV uh, parking stations. And then the person was asking like, what, you know, where's the source what, what feeds into the source he goes oh it's the business the building of the business and they're asking okay well what kind of source do you guys use as to fuel your um your energy and they go coal oh so your coal which fuels your energy is what's fueling your your uh, your charging stations so it's just like hmm it's like huh you're it's really not that clean at the end of the day because you you're you're in you're 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 getting your source directly from a clean source but behind the scene what's giving you that clean source is not clean so you're not really solving anything you're just creating an illusion of like oh we're solving things like 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 we said unintended consequences of destroying an entire industry it, it, you can do just, it. it. We, you know, we can just say, you know what? Let's agree 
and let's do it properly. Let's take a little bit more time. Let's do it properly. Let's move forward efficiently where everybody agrees that we want, that's the path we want to take, but at least we do it in a proactive and efficient, innovative way. But no, let's not do it that way. Let's just go about doing it where we pretend we're solving it, but in reality, we're not solving shit. We need, I'll wrap this up, but we, we need to figure out a way to work together with these so-called dirty industries um, and make people realize that without them, there is no society. Mm-hmm. Like, I, 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 I don't want to sound meantime, ominous, yeah. but like, it's just like the hysteria <laughs> has exceeded everyone's expectations. Let's dial it back a little bit. Realize mm-hmm. where we're at right now. Realize where prices are going higher. Yeah. Right. There's no, this is at least at least at least for the next two to three years. I mean, I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Yeah. Um, and, and make a decision. Be like, all right, we got to figure out a way to work with these industries. And I think they're going to continue to make investments into these green technologies. You know, like a BP oil, for example. Like I'm, I'm sure they've invested, you know, billions or of, of dollars just into creating technology that shows how much harm or how much exposure uh, or CO2 emissions are being exposed uh, into into the atmosphere. We didn't have that technology 15, 20 years ago. That's what people forget. You know, that industry has come a long way. So um, I I personally, like, I I love that sector. I love that space. Is it a bit of a wild card for investing? A little bit. But at the same time, like, if you want to hedge right now against inflation, and against your gas pump, I mean, you gotta you gotta have some energy, oil, and gas in your portfolio. I think. Yeah, no, I'm with you. People need to go back to the roots: infrastructure, commodities, energy. Yeah, again, back to the roots. It's just go go back down to the basic principles of everything that we need. Because the more we dis- the more we're playing these games, the more people are gonna have to revert to those things in order to re-stimulate, reignite, redevelop, and so on and so on. I'm with you. I I, want to make something abundantly clear right now. We are not climate deniers. I'll repeat that. I know we said that earlier. We, we, we think the environment is important, but the global hysteria that has unfolded over the last decade is literally has, has, has caused indirect consequences to these industries. So, you know, like that's, that's pretty much it. Um, I don't know if there's anything else to add at this point, but I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm bullish on the space. Um, you know, we, we need these industries to survive um, long term even. Um, is Exxon or BP going to be the same company 10 years from now? I don't think so. I think they're going to be a lot smarter and greener companies, but there's still going to be there still has to be a form of oil or, or energy that, that's being emitted. That is, of course, unless there's some kind of magical commodity that gets invented in the next, I don't know, 50, 10, 10, 15 years that just like substitutes all of it. I, I don't see that happening. You know, by the way, crypto burns, crypto mining burns more energy than anything right now. And I'm bullish on that space too. That's another conversation. (laughs) So anyway, thanks so much for listening guys. Um, I know that this was a bit of more of a ramble free flowing conversation, but oil and gas are going to do very well these next few months, these next few cycles. Uh, it's something to pay attention to. And I think everyone should just start looking at these as a hedge against, uh, you know, higher gas prices in their portfolio. So we'll yep. leave it at that. Uh, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time All on right. the new Gen mindset podcast. Thanks guys. Take care. Ciao.